Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, if I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you're here with us this morning. Uh, this is Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a Grammy award-winning blues musician. And one night after a show, uh, a white gentleman came up to him and said, you know what, that's the first time I've ever heard a black man play like Jerry Lee Lewis. And Daryl was a little surprised, and he thought, well, where do you think Jerry Lee Lewis learned how to play like that? He said, I, I have no idea. He said, well, Jerry Lee learned how to play from the same people that I learned how to play from. That's black blues and boogie-woogie piano players. He said, that's what that rockability, rock and roll style came from. And then the man said, you know what? This is actually the first time I've ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And Daryl was really surprised now because Daryl, in his 25 years, had literally sat down with thousands of white people for coffee, drinks, breakfast. And this man was 15, 20 years older than him. And to know that he had never sat down with somebody who was black really surprised him. And he said, you know, why? How, how is that even possible? And then his buddy next to him elbowed him and said, tell him. Go ahead, tell him. The man opened up his wallet, flipped through some pictures and credit cards, and pulled out a card and handed it to him and said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And at that moment, Daryl was wondering, why am I sitting here with a Klansman? You know, at first he laughed. He thought he was joking. But he looked at the card. He recognized the symbol, recognized the logo. And then he thought, what on earth am I doing sitting with this man? And that conversation shocked Daryl. And it led Daryl to eventually ask this question. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? You see, those men didn't know each other. But that man would have likely considered Daryl his enemy. And there Daryl is drinking with this guy, having a conversation with this guy, knowing this guy hates him. This guy was essentially his enemy. Have you ever been there? Ever felt like somebody was treating you like their enemy? Ever been in a relationship with somebody where you've been betrayed, you've been hated, you've been wronged, you've been sinned against? Maybe even in your marriage, your spouse betrayed you, broke trust, wronged you, maybe even cheated on you, maybe even multiple times. What do you do when that happens? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. So grab your Bibles and go to the book of Hosea. Hosea is in the Old Testament, okay? Find the book of Proverbs, Psalms, keep turning, keep turning, Keep turning, all right? You're going to pass Song of Songs. You're going to pass Isaiah. Once you find Isaiah, keep turning. There's 60-something chapters in Isaiah. Find Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, all right? While you're finding that, let me give you a little bit of the background. Hosea is a prophet of God. He writes on the behalf of God. God essentially speaks through this man, Hosea, like many prophets, and tells them, hey, go tell Israel to do this. Tell Israel to stop doing this. Warn Israel about this. 
This is what God wants. And so that's Hosea's job. And, and Hosea finds himself in this time of ministry, in this time of being a prophet, in one of the most difficult, chaotic times of Israel's life. They are under one of the worst kings ever. And their life is in utter chaos. And so God comes to Hosea and tells him some really interesting things. And it opens up with Hosea's broken marriage. So Hosea chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible... We have it on the screen here for you. Hosea chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous, a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son." That's crazy. I mean, did, did we read that right? Hosea, I want you to go get married. And the woman I want you to marry is, by the way, not going to be faithful to you at all. Anybody feel like maybe autocorrect sent the wrong message or didn't communicate that very clearly? I mean, imagine that. You're single, you have a desire to get married, and all of a sudden, like never before, it is crystal clear in your ears, God is telling you to go marry someone, and oh, by the way, they're going to cheat on you again and again and again. At that point, I'm really questioning what's going on here, and God says, I want you to do this. Because this is a picture. This is a symbol. Your marriage is going to represent what's happening between God and Israel. Israel is this unfaithful woman who continually cheats on her husband, who is God. She continually turns to false gods, continually turns to false idols. And God says, Hosea, go marry this woman named Gomer. Take a look at what happens next. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for that massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, I have a, I have a name choice for you. Lo Ruhamah which means not loved. Name her that. And I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Verse seven, yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them. Not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Israel is cheating on God. 
God says, Hosea, marry this woman. When you have children, here's the names I want for them. Not my people, not loved. <laughs> Those are great name choices, right? So if, if you're pregnant or expecting, um, don't put those in the name book, okay? But imagine that this is God looking at Israel who is essentially treated God like the enemy. And God views them as his enemy. You're no longer acting like my people. You're no, act, no longer acting like you love me. And now I'm going to give these names to kind of picture and symbolize what's happening between this relationship with God and Israel. This relationship is strained. But Hosea finds himself in this incredibly difficult situation. Can you, can you imagine that? Your spouse is going to cheat on you. And now you're having kids with them. And the hurt and the pain and the betrayal that comes with that. Hosea, this is what I want for you. Hosea, I want you to enter into this relationship knowing you're going to be lied to, lied about, deceived, hurt over and over and over again because this is what Israel is doing to God. So Israel is acting like God's enemy. But God doesn't tell Hosea to leave her. He doesn't tell Hosea to just cut ties and, and bail or hit the eject button. He says, I want you to be in this relationship on purpose because this is a picture of how I'm going to treat Israel. I'm going to pursue them. I'm not going to cut ties. I'm not going to leave them. I'm not going to forsake them. I'm going to be all in. And so when people act like your enemy, love requires perseverance. Now, there's consequences that come with those sins. There's consequences that come with those actions. And trust may not be restored immediately. And it doesn't mean that it hurts less. But what God is telling Hosea to do is persevere in this relationship. This is difficult. She is treating you wrongly. She is sinning against you. She is harming you. I mean, the pain that, they, that she must be inflicting on these kids and this family as she goes out and comes back and goes out and comes back has, about, has got to be incredibly difficult. Yet God wants Hosea to be in this relationship. God, in his grace, in his mercy, says, I want you to persevere. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. I know I certainly have. And I know that I continually fail and blow it and sin in all sorts of ways. And God is faithful to me. And he's faithful to us. That you and I sin every single day. And he continually pursues you. He continually pursues us. That's what we need to do. When our kids go off the rails, we need to persevere. When our grandkids go off the rails, we need to persevere. When our spouse seems unchangeable, we need to persevere. When our boss continually betrays us or that friend continually lies about us, persevere. 
because we need to choose to love that person. Now, whether or not I trust them is a completely different story. The trust may not be there. In fact, it may take years to redevelop that and rebuild that. That's not what God's talking about. He's saying, persevere in that relationship. Keep pursuing them to the degree that you can. And I understand some relationships are, are just fractured and they are broken and it seems like it is impossible to repair those. And some of those people won't even give you the time of day. So with the amount of time that they will give you, with the amount of face time you can get with them, persevere. And how you can love them and pray for them and be a blessing to them and encourage them, persevere. But notice what happens next. Jump down to chapter three. Hosea chapter three, verse one. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raising cakes. Hosea, go to her again. Love her again. Pursue her again. Keep going after her again and again and again. Persevere, Hosea, because this is how much I love Israel. This is how much I love my bride. This is what God does for you and I. Jesus continually pursues you over and over and over again. And he says, even though they turn to other gods, even though they continually cheat, even though they continually go to other idols, other things, and, and they bring sacred raisin cakes. Now, before you laugh, they would have brought these raisin cakes to the false god Baal. And that would have been part of the delicacies. That would have been part of their worship. So he's just, he's calling them out saying, look at how you serve these other gods. Look at all these ways you sacrifice them. Look at these cakes and foods you bake and bring to them. That's pointing to your heart. But you and I, we're not so different, are we? Because we have idols and false gods in our own hearts. That every time we sin, we're cheating on God. And we pursue idols. They might not have... Uh, physical appearances, but they come in the forms of comfort, pleasure, respect, love, maybe money. We're pursuing those things. We're loving those things. We're chasing after those things because they're, they're promising something else. And so you and I are really not that different. Israel has been pursuing these false gods, and God says, love her, Hosea. Love her, as the Lord loves the Israelites. God is incredible in his grace and his mercy. He keeps on pursuing them. Hosea, keep doing this. Keep at it. Because here's what we need to know. When people act like your enemy, love requires reconciliation. Keep after it again. Keep loving her again and again and again. Go and work towards mending that relationship. I mean, that's just crazy, right? But, but Tim, they cheated on me. Not once, not twice, three, four times. It's like, that's their lifestyle. They have no plan of pursuing reconciliation. They have no plan of repenting. They have no plan of calling that sin. 
What do I do? As much as you can, in your sphere of influence, work towards reconciliation. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm not saying you're to blame. But if there's any part of that, even a 1, 2% is yours, then own that part. And go to them and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we begin the process of reconciliation? Because today it just might be a little tiny 30-second conversation. And tomorrow you might get another 30-second conversation. And next week you might get a full minute or two minutes. And then a month from now you might get a, a sit-down, a 30-minute sit-down with that person. But this is worth it because this is what God does for us, pursues us, persevered, and he wants to reconcile. Because you and I, we live like an enemy. With our sin, we cheat on him. He forgives us and we say, ah, thank you, but I'm going to do this for right now. And this is how God pursues us. Hosea, keep on going after her. Yeah, there's consequences. I'm not sure I'm going to trust her. I'm not sure I believe her this time. That will come as you continue to work on reconciliation. But let God change their hearts. You and I, we're really terrible at changing people's hearts. Have you noticed that? You're not really good at it. I'm not good at it either. That's something that God does. That's something that his word does. But keep pursuing those conversations because it's worth it. But notice how Hosea responds. Verse two, though I bought her with 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. So I don't understand all the details that have happened here. Maybe she was, uh, became a temple prostitute. Maybe she was in a relationship with another man. Something happened where there was a price on her. And Hosea had to take his money, his hard-earned money, and sacrifice and say, I'm buying you back out of that relationship. You're coming with me. You're going to be my wife. And this lifestyle is done. You're going to be faithful. I am pursuing you because I love you. And that's what God does for us. He pursued us. He persevered. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, he purchased you out of that slavery, out of that darkness, and brought you into the light. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And God says, that's what I want you to do, Hosea. Pursue her. Love her. She's owned by somebody else. Pay the money. Purchase her. Redeem her. But look at what happens next, verse four. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and his blessings in the last days. So there's not gonna be a king, there's not gonna be a prince, there's gonna be a whole lot of mess going on, right? There's gonna be a really a lot of unstable uh, security happening here. Their life is falling apart. This is part of the consequences. There's not going to be any religious activity. There's not going to be any sacrifices going on here. They're going to turn. 
Israel is going to turn away from these gods and they're going to repent. God is pursuing them. So love requires reconciliation. We have to recalibrate our minds that way. What, what exactly is reconciliation? Reconciliation is pursuing the relationship. It's trying to mend what was broken. Even though you've been hurt, the relationship has been strained or damaged, we're trying to repair it. Despite the pain, despite the hurt, we're pursuing to love them, pursuing to bring that relationship back. It refuses to be controlled by that pain. It refuses to be controlled by that anger. It, it, that, that's what reconciliation is. I'm refusing to allow this pain and hurt to dominate and influence my life, how I think, and how I treat you because I'm about reconciling. And as I read through this book of Hosea, I'm reminded of a story in John where Jesus has something very similar happen to him. So grab your Bibles and, and go over to John chapter 8. This is really Hosea in living color. Verse 2, at dawn, he, that's Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Jesus, here's the woman. She was caught in adultery. Now, just, just imagine this. We have no idea how big this group was, but we know there's at least 12 disciples. Jesus is there. That's 13. It says there's teachers, plural, so at least two or three. And then some Pharisees. I mean, easily a group of 20 men and one woman. At the very least, a woman who is caught in adultery is now dragged before a group of at least 20 men, maybe more. That's just a little intimidating. She has no idea what's going to happen. And many of these men have rocks in their hands probably much larger than this, softball size, ready to kill her. Because that's what the law of Moses said, that she deserved the death penalty. So Jesus, what do you say? What do you think? Take a look at what happens next. Verse six, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But when Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down, stooped down and wrote on the ground. So here's the trap, right? You say you follow Moses. You say you follow the law. You say you, you came to fulfill the law. If that's true, Jesus, stone her. However, if you say, I'm not going to stone her, well, what about all of those other sinners you've been hanging out with? 
they deserve to be stoned. What do you do with, with them? So th there's the dilemma, right? Either you're going to follow the law and stone her, and if you do, what about all these other sinners you've been hanging out with? Dilemma is God is judgment, righteous, but he's also full of love, grace, and mercy. How do you harmonize those two? They're coming to trap Jesus. What are you going to do? Because either way, you're wrong. If you say, we're not going to stone her, they're going to go, well, you must not be with Moses. You must not really believe the law. And if you say stone her, well, weren't you hanging out yesterday with a group of sinners and prostitutes? Why, did, why are you picking and choosing who you're going to stone? And Jesus, here's their question, bends down and starts writing or drawing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote or what he drew or whatever he's doing. There's a lot of guesswork there. But as he's making marks with his fingers, they keep on questioning him, keep on questioning him, keep on questioning him. And he says, okay, if you have never sinned, throw the first rock. Throw the first stone. Which one of you can do it? God is a God of love, of grace, mercy, and kindness. But he's also full of justice. He's also righteous. He also is holy in nature. But notice verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away, one by one at a time. They began to leave, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with this woman still standing there. One by one, those guys left. Because they knew. They couldn't throw a stone. Not a single one could throw anything at her. Because they knew they also had sin in their lives. Jesus was all about pursuing reconciliation. He was about redemption. And so when people act like your enemy... Love requires redemption. That's exactly what Jesus was doing for this young lady. He was redeeming her. Like Hosea purchasing Gomer out of that relationship, there is Jesus bringing her out of that relationship, purchasing her. Jesus is going to lay down his life on the cross and die for her sins, died for your sins, died for my sins, redeeming us making forgiveness possible. And so when we've been hurt, when we've been wronged, love requires from us, from you, from me, redemption. That Jesus is able to heal every single wound. 
Jesus, with this, this love pursuit, is able to bring full healing to you and me. And he's delivering this woman from sin. He's helping her break through this bondage of sin. Because notice what happens next. Verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now. Leave your life of sin. You're free. You're forgiven. You have this new life. And this is a picture of what God does for every single one of us. He pursues us. He perseveres. Even when you continually sin, even when I continually sin, not with new sins, but the same one over and over and over again, he keeps on pursuing you, redeeming you, making forgiveness available. Not surprised at all by what happened this morning on your way here. Not surprised at all by what happened over the weekend. And he pursues you, persevering, loving you, redeeming you. So here's, here's the big idea. That you and I would choose radical love over self-preservation. Here's what happens. When, when you're hurt, when you're offended, when you're sinned against, when you're betrayed, when, you're, when your spouse cheats on you, you put up those fence posts. You put up those walls. Because I, I can't have this happen to me again. And we begin to freeze people out. We block them on social media. We delete their contacts. And we decide you're going to stand this far away and no closer. You can't get close to me. No way, no how, because I need to protect me. But radical love can overcome that. I have to make that choice. Instead of protecting myself, instead of closing people off, I am choosing to pursue them. I'm choosing to love them. I'm choosing to persevere. Over the next several years, Daryl Davis dedicated his life to getting to know men who are part of the Ku Klux Klan. And he dove straight into that started reading books, researching. He wanted to know everything about their ideology, their practices. He ended up knowing more about the Ku Klux Klan than their own members, getting to know them, building relationships with them. And to this day, because of the relationships that he has developed, over 200 people have turned in their Ku Klux Klan robes. That's a big deal. How do you do that? Building relationships. Proximity. Getting in their lives. Persevering. Loving them when it wasn't popular. Pursuing them. Pursuing redemption with those men. Because they didn't know. They had no idea. But once they got to know someone like Daryl, 
they realized, okay, he's a real person too. <laughs> and he cares about me, no matter what. So if Daryl can have that kind of impact on 200 people, 200 men that, that don't even know him, what could God do through your relationships? So what do we need to do? Here's the application. One, cultivate an attitude of forgiveness. Have that readiness. I'm ready. My heart is prepared to forgive you. I want to have a conversation. Number two, pursue those who have wronged you. Have that conversation with them. Pursue them. Love them. And number three, stop telling yourself the false narrative. Because I know this is true for me. When I've been hurt, when I've been wronged, whether it's perceived or real, that narrative starts playing in my head over and over and over and over again. I have imaginary conversations with people that aren't even in the room with me. <laughs> That's why I'm glad you're here. And, and those conversations just fuel that fire. More gasoline on the fire, more logs on the fire, and it gets hotter and hotter, and that false narrative starts spinning in your mind, and now you're just so fuming angry. And you haven't even seen this person in like 20 years, but you keep replaying that over and over. So it's time to stop. It's time to stop playing that narrative in your mind and pursue reconciliation. Here's some questions I want to leave you with. One, who are you currently having relational trouble with? These are for you. You don't need to tell me this. And how have you contributed to this trouble? Because there are two of you in that conflict, right? I know there's two, so two, two sides to every story, but typically you play a role in that also. How has he or she contributed? What is God calling you to change and do in this relationship? What do you need to change based on what have you contributed? Start there. Last, what will it look like today? What will it look like this week to pursue reconciliation? Because we need to choose radical love over self-preservation. Let me pray. God, you are amazing. It's incredible to watch and read this story of Hosea and Gomer and this, this woman and what you do in her life and how you bring change to these individuals. And we know that change is hard. I know some of us here this morning, we're sort of like Gomer. We're sort of like that woman that Jesus talked with. And we've just made an absolute blunder of our lives. It may not be the same sins, but it may be um, other ones that we just continually get sucked in. We continually pursue those. And we are here seeking redemption and forgiveness. I know others are in this room and we've been hurt. We've been wronged. We've been treated poorly. We've been betrayed in many ways. Would you help us to take that first next step of reconciliation today? Pray all this in Christ's name, amen.
you guys stand with us in response to that? My name's Keith, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to, so please come forward at the end of service so I can meet you.